Before we get into the episode, we want to let you know we are gathering another Attaching to God learning cohort. In it, you will escape your anxious jungles and avoiding deserts of faith and grow into secure attachment with God and with others. This is a one-of-a-kind six-week cohort combining recorded teachings and live cohort calls. So you can get all the details at embodiedfaith.life slash learning dash cohorts or see the show notes for details after the description. Have we turned our bodies or have we turned the statement that your body is the temple of God into some sort of shaming mechanism? What if our bodies are the place where God meets us? What if our bodies are the place where God is glorified? How can we figure this all out when so often our culture forgets the body or shames the body? Today we have Beth Felker-Jones, a professor of theology at Northern Seminary here talking with us about a theology of the body and how we uh, and our culture and our churches can move into deeper freedom. This is the Embodied Faith Podcast, helping you get unstuck in your spiritual life through a neuroscience-informed spiritual formation. And we are produced by Grassroots Christianity. As I said, Beth is a professor of theology at Northern Seminary. She lives in or just outside of Chicago with her husband, kids, and pets. You might hear some dogs in the background. She got her PhD at uh, Duke and is the author of several books, uh, including The Wonderful Practicing Christian Doctrine, and we'll be sure to tell you where to find her online. Beth, it is so good to have you. Oops, let's get everybody on there. Everybody on. There we go. It's so good to have you on today. Great to be with you all. Yeah. So this podcast is called Embodied Faith. Uh, and because we believe our bodies are very important for our journey uh, with Jesus and our life of faith. In the West, the philosophical tradition has often kind of forgotten the body uh, through Descartes and other people. Um, that leads to like a disembodied faith, which creates all sorts of problems. Uh, but there's also another kind of reaction, which is to be um, to forget our bodies uh, and to do that by like hiding or shaming our bodies. And you had a post uh, that I saw a couple weeks ago that really kind of spoke about that. And so I wanted to have you on to talk about uh, embodied faith, uh, especially like women theologians like yourself, also philosophers and therapists, and coaches and counselors. Women are often bringing attention to these issues about the body. Uh, about the forgetting or the hiding of the body. So I'm mostly just going to uh, facilitate a conversation between you and Sid, uh, if that's okay with the two of you. Sure. Looking forward to it. Or I'll just disappear uh, <laughs> and you guys can take it over. But maybe just to kind of start it out, uh, Beth, how um, how do you see this kind of uh, hiding of the body or body shame? Where did that come from, like culturally, or how do you see it? And then uh, part two of that question would be like, how is this happening theologically? Mm. It's one of my favorite topics, and it's been central to my work uh, as long as I've been been doing this. I think the question of where it comes from is tricky, or at least um, 
there are multiple answers and probably some mysteries there as well. As you mentioned, the Western philosophical tradition has not been super friendly uh, to bodies. Uh, sometimes we go all the way back to Plato and blame him, right? The body is a prison. Uh, but then more contemporary, not contemporary, more modern uh, thought, Descartes, I think, therefore I am and so on, uh, tends to really see the body as secondary uh, to who we are. Um, also, I think uh, this gets into our interpretation of scripture. Uh, it's not scripture itself, but it has guided a lot of Western interpretation of scripture. And so that's also deep in our imaginations. Um, and then there's the fact that uh, bodies are tricky, right? They're they're hard to deal with. Um, they, they hurt, they grow ill, they make us vulnerable. Uh, they're also wonderful and God's good creation. But the fact of those difficulties uh, can, I think, make the body a kind of scapegoat for all of our problems. Uh, that's a suggestion that Augustine makes in his uh, autobiography, The Confessions, autobiography. Anyway, um, uh, he sort of says, I'm paraphrasing, I wanted to blame my body for my sins uh, so I wouldn't have to take responsibility for them myself. <laughs> um, and I think that kind of scapegoating is uh, something many of us are tempted to. Yeah. Yeah. I see that too. And um, the the thing I'm curious about is where is, you know, the thing that I think I have struggled with and I think other people that I know have struggled with is this sense of if I could just sort of erase everything that's wrong with my body and sort of start from scratch. And especially now that we're in this world of, um, you know, so many people carry trauma in their bodies too, that the idea of if I could just get rid of all of it and start fresh, that somehow that would make me spiritually whole. Where do you see that sort of popping up or where did that sort of become a common understanding? Yeah, that's such a good insight. Um, it seems to me there's at least a couple things uh, that go into that. Uh, one is what you've named, the fact that so many of us have experienced trauma in the body. Um, of course, counter to our intuition there, what we need for healing is to reconnect to our bodies. Um, but we often try to disconnect uh, in response to that trauma. I also think consumer capitalism plays an enormous role here. Um, it's difficult to sell products to the soul, uh, but you can sell them to the body. Uh, and so we're peddled endless things to buy, which promise a kind of salvation, right? Uh, salvation of new skin and new hair and new thinness and new fitness and um, a kind of salvation even from death, right? If we could only be healthy enough, uh, we could we could make ourselves immortal. Um, and so I think uh, we're all sus subject to that kind of pervasive advertising and, and the pervasive false hope that if we buy the right things to fix up our bodies, uh, then all will be well. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot to unpack there as far as uh, where the kind of this body shaming has come. Like you started off by uh, asking on this, uh, it was a Twitter thread as well as one of your posts um, about how is it that the term like your body is the temple of God mm. has been inverted not to be a statement of grace or hope, but is actually now like the shaming mechanism, like make sure that your body is living up to all these standards. And I think what you just said is, is maybe a uh, capitalism has also taken that, like, are you treating your temple the right way? Mm -hmm. You know? To, so um, 
like what how does that manifest and this is maybe for sid uh and yourself how does this like how does that that inversion of that statement your body is a temple uh become this way of shaming bodies instead of celebrating them i guess or mm-hmm. i'd love to hear from sid and i, I <laughs> yeah uh, yeah, I just, um, I mean, I'll just speak from my own story because mm-hmm. that's the story I know best. Um, but I think, you know, there's there's those moments of, um, oh, I didn't, I didn't exercise my body as much as I should have this last week. And it turns into those shoulds, right? Or I ate a little more dessert than I should have, or I have, a, I'm carrying around a few more pounds than I should be. Um, and I think that that sort of sense of like, if I'm supposed to glorify God in my body, then my body should really look like even maybe like this Greek ideal, right? Of what the what the human body should look like in all its splendor. And if I'm not actually carrying around a body that looks like that, then somehow I'm not bringing enough glory to God through my body mm-hmm. because I am not treating my body enough you know, like good enough, well enough. Um, and so I think that, that I think it can be a huge shame of, um, especially when you hear the way people talk about bodies and especially the way I hear, you know, other women talking about other women's bodies, <laughs> like we're not so kind to each other. And, um, you know, just on that note, I just want to say you live in Chicagoland, right? And the King Spa is there, the Korean Spa. And one of my favorite things about the King Spa is that you have to be naked to go into the wet rooms, to go into the pools. And there's something so liberating to be in a room full of intergenerational naked women and to just look around and go, all of us just, they're just bodies. Like we all have ordinary bodies and nobody's body is the picture of perfection. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think they're like, for me personally, that pressure of, um, if I'm going to glorify God in my body, then my body should be as close to perfect as it can possibly be. Right. Uh, and we let perfect be defined, I think, by consumer capitalism, uh, as well as by racist and classist standards of beauty, right, instead of by um, uh, the perfection God is calling to, right, of health and holiness in loving relationship with, with God and, and neighbor. Um, yeah, I, that's my experience as well. I think this is so deep in our culture that we, we just feel it sort of pressing on us from every side. Uh, in the, the last 50-ish years, I think uh, fat and exercise have really been targeted um, as kind of false salvation or the absence of fat and the presence of exercise have been targeted as kind of a false salvation, um, uh, making it seem as though our in health is an individual responsibility based on what we eat and how we behave uh, instead of health being a corporate matter uh, where we need things like good social ways of actually being together so that folks have access to good food and, and, and so on. So I think um, mm-hmm. there's a real kind of uh, pushing off of the communal need to search for good health onto individuals by saying it's your job not to be fat it's your job to be to be in shape right um uh, and uh, that just weighs so heavily on us and I, I hear the fat thing raised all the time right uh, fat is treated as a kind of moral failure uh when it's not when in fact 
uh, body size is way more complicated than we make it out to be. Um, and it has all kinds of uh, social things attached to it. Uh, just for instance, right, the, um, oh dear, I have an alarm going off. I meant to stop that. Um, for instance, uh, the BMI, right, uh, which is uh, the scale that's so often used to determine whether we're the right amount of fat, uh, is based in racist standards, right, created based on uh, mostly white, rich bodies. Um, and so uh, we have this kind of outside force pushing on us, right, which doesn't even reflect the reality of the diversity of God's people. And then I'll, I'll stop with, with that. But I, I think it's it's really huge, just this sense of uh, if you're sick, it's your fault. Uh, to be healthy requires eating right and exercising properly. Uh, and if I do it, I can look smugly on you for not doing it. Um, and I also don't have to take responsibility for our corporate health uh, because I can live in the delusion that um, everybody uh, could, like me, uh, eat properly and exercise properly. Uh, as though it were in our control, right? So much is not in our control. Yeah. But I think, um, you know, I think there is there is some some interpret some biblical interpretation which does really make us feel like it is in our control. You know, when you look at all the the way when I beat I beat my body into submission, and you know the 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 corruption of the flesh, and you know this is the way you used to live, no longer live. The old has gone, the new has come. So, can you speak a little bit to what how the how the theological history of the way the church has interpreted those fleshy scriptures has also played into this sense of the individual moral imperative of our bodies. Right. Right. Um, So there's at least two important meanings of the word flesh in the new Testament. Um, On the one hand, there's a very positive meaning, uh, the resurrection of the flesh. Christ has come in the flesh. Right. Uh, on the other hand, Paul does use it with negative meaning. Uh, he contrasts flesh with spirit, right? Where flesh is uh, the old self, the self under the condition of sin, and spirit is uh, the new self, uh, the self who is being renewed uh, in the presence of God. So because Western culture is already uh, dualistic in our thinking, we tend to think of uh, flesh as bad and spirit as good. Uh, We've, I think, assumed that when Paul talks about the badness of the flesh, he's talking about stuff, materiality, the physical body. And it seems he's just not using the word that way. Uh, He's using the word flesh uh, as a kind of uh, consolidated way of speaking about the whole self under the condition of sin, right? Uh, The the man of flesh uh, is not your body. Uh, The man of flesh is uh, your whole self under the condition of sin, body and soul. Uh, but we just see flesh and we think body uh, and we we reduce it uh, to that. Um, I think one of the most helpful bits of scripture here for thinking about this is in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul talks about the resurrection of the body. Uh, and uh, he contrasts uh, the body as it, as it is now with the body as it will be at the resurrection. Right? Um, these phrases are translated in lots of ways, often really antibody kinds of ways in English translations of scripture. But uh, the two the two uh, words are, or sets of words are, um, the, the body, uh, the selfish body, right? Uh, the body as it is directed uh, by the selfish sort of will. Uh, 
uh, and the spirit-led body, the body as it is uh, under uh, the direction of the Holy Spirit. And what's important to notice there is that in both cases, we're talking about a body, right? The body now, the body of the resurrection, both are a body, a material body. The difference is not in materiality. It's in whether you're led by your selfish, sinful soul, uh, or whether you're under the, the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit. In both cases, you're made of stuff, right? Uh, the, the Greek word soma uh, there. Um, so uh, we, we import our assumptions onto scripture, right? Uh, uh, we read uh, in a way that uh, doesn't always take into account uh, the way the words, for instance, are being used uh, in the context. Uh, and a lot of our biblical translations underwrite that uh, in ways that are pretty deep in our heads, too. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of our preaching or uh, teaching that kind of repeats that in very mm -hmm. unhelpful ways. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to uh, circle back a little bit, too, to uh, what you were saying about, like, the classism and racism, and certainly genderism. You know, like, how? why is it that dad bods are cool when, you know, when we're curvy and I have my beer bod but then you know we have trophy wives who are supposed to be skinny and beautiful so, like so that's a definite you know gender kind of uh double standard uh like you were saying uh about capitalism as as the west began to influence especially like africa uh african understandings of what a beautiful body drastically changed from um a larger curvier body uh mm -hmm. you know 50, 100 years ago was the ideal culturally. And then the more the West influenced Africa, the skinnier um, the assumptions were for uh, beautiful women. So yeah, the capitalism, Western, like it's all, there's all these double standards that's, you know, culturally infused. Uh, so this beautiful uh, older now uh, African murder mystery on HBO, sadly, they only made one season, uh, the number one ladies detective agent oh, yeah. or something. Uh, and Jill Scott, the show. Yeah. yeah, Jill Scott, who's a curvy woman, plays the, the main detective. Uh, and uh, when people are commenting on her uh, size, she always says, I'm a woman of traditional size. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> um, and it's really beautiful. Sorry for interrupting. That, yeah. well, and it's uh, it's not just. um like standards of beauty too. It's also age. And so we're addicted to youth here in the West. I remember when I was 24, I was in seminary and we were in a pastoral counseling class and the professor had said something um, to a woman. I forget exactly how the conversation went and he like accidentally asked her age mm -hmm. and then he took it the question back like oh i'm not supposed to ask your age and then the woman said i am from the jamaican culture that believes that age is valuable and mm -hmm. then she stated how old she was mm -hmm. um, because she is of a non-western culture that always wants to celebrate youth and i was like you know i'm sitting there white guy i don't know and i was like oh i need to think about that more like mm -hmm. the celebration of youth is part of the, this body conversation too, uh, and the not celebrating our elders and those, you know, who are older. So, so wanted, we don't have to go down that rabbit trail. I just wanted to put a pin in like our celebration of, uh, and again, connected to gender though. Right. Um, uh, as men age, they're distinguished and, uh, respectable, uh, and women just uh, age out of visibility in certain mm -hmm. ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's true. And then you want to hide your age with different, you know, well, so you could talk about that or, or not. Well, no, actually, I have a different question. Can <clears throat> okay, I, go ahead. I want to go Take in a different it. direction. So I think, um, you know, I'm curious 
because I know um, a lot of the work that I do with clients is about, you know, befriending your body, like sort of learning to live at peace in your body. And especially Mm -hmm. as people experience trauma and understand trauma. So even with, you know, the, the pivotal book of Bessel van der Kolk, that the body keeps the score, like Mm -hmm. how, how do you address that from a theological way that our bodies hold our histories, they hold our stories. And in some sense, they hold the sin committed against us. They hold the brokenness of the world. Mm-hmm. So can you just speak to that and how you teach that from a theological perspective? Uh, let me recommend highly um, Andy Kolber's book, Try Softer. Yes. So a good. Christian version of the body keeps the score. Um, uh, and uh is, is very, very helpful on this. Uh, for me, theologically, uh, the image of Jesus bringing with him into the resurrection the scars of his crucifixion mm, yeah. is a really central image, uh, one that I can't fully unpack in words. But the idea that uh, our final redemption and resurrection, right, which includes our bodies, doesn't erase the histories of violence and pain, which are written on our bodies, but instead carries them forward into redemption, right? Um, In a way uh, where we have badges of God's healing and and goodness. What exactly that might look like, right, uh, is something we can only imagine, but I think it's really important. Uh, Those scars aren't erased, they're redeemed. Um, and I think that's a helpful way for me, at least, uh, to think about the stories of, of violence and hurt in my own life. Um, those stories are part of who I am, right? Um, and to wipe them out would be to not tell the truth about the way sin works in this world. Yes. Um, and it would be to not tell the truth about healing. Uh, and so I think they can't be wiped out. They have to be integrated. Um, And that's part of what those scars that Jesus bears suggests to me. Yeah. I just love the way you said that, you know, that, that it's the, the stories are brought into the resurrection, that there is a redemption of the whole story. And um, it just sort of brings to mind a story that we told in our, in our book about when I learned about how strawberries are grown in California um, I don't know if they're still grown this way. I think it's probably changed with the organ- growth of organic farming. But um, that the strawberries are cloned from this initial tissue. Um, and so they're sort of perfectly cloned so that they'll all have the same genetics, that they'll all look the same mm-hmm. and be about the same size. And then so they they take this genetic cloning and that's the starters for all of these strawberries. And then they sort of fumigate the soil to kill anything that could threaten the growth of the strawberries. So you take this combination of this cloned strawberry in this sterile soil and what you get is big, beautiful looking strawberries that just don't taste like strawberries should. And so I'm thinking about, you know, even just, and this is a little bit, probably not as great as, as profound as you said it, but the way that each of us carry a story that does in some sense sort of flavor the way that people experience God through us. Uh, because we all carry these different histories and the way that God has met us in those stories. Um, I just have been thinking lately about how our bodies are the only place where God can meet with us because we're incapable of being anywhere else, but in our bodies. 
How God made us created that way. Yeah. Yeah. So our bodies become like this sacramental place where God meets us. It's the only place he can meet us is in our bodies. And if we could, if we refuse to be in our bodies, then in some sense we refuse the presence of God with us. Um, One way to define the body, um, kind of, uh, outside of theology out there in philosophy, uh, is, as a place for connections, right? That's that's what our body is—a place for connection. Um, and yeah, if our if our purpose is to love God and love neighbor, then we do it in the body. Oh. Amen. Well, you did end that post, and I want to kind of end uh, our time together uh, referencing First uh, Corinthians six. Uh, 19 and 20, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. And so I was wondering if we could end with, well, just a reflection, like what does it mean to glorify God with our bodies? Uh, And then like, how do we do that? What does that look like? You know, and we'll throw it to you, Beth, and Sid, you can throw in stuff too. It certainly doesn't mean watch your weight and sculpt your abs. Right? <laughs> um, uh, it means love people. And that does mean health, right? Uh, eating eating for health, moving for health. But our eating and gym practices are so far away for, from, from health. Uh, it means to love people um, and uh, to love yourself because you can't love people without doing so. Right? Love your neighbor as yourself requires a kind of self love. I've been pondering that moment where Paul says, nobody ever hated their own body. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I think most of us do. Uh, And that signifies to me a a real need uh, for us to to find uh, something new here. Um, So to glorify God in your body means to become like Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it means to include and to embrace uh, in our embodied lives, uh, the beauty of created diversity, right? Gendered, ethnic, and racialized diversities—all, all the diversities, right? Which, which mark us. Um, those aren't something to be wiped away into a homogenized standard of magazine beauty, right? But, but things uh, to be carried into our our loves. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about those strawberries there. <laughs> I don't know if I have anything to add other than that, you know, just thinking that for like, I like to think of glorifying God in my body means because God is a God of reconciliation. So even just to learn to live at peace in my body and to demonstrate that I can live peacefully within this flesh is living like Jesus who lived at peace in trustful surrender in his flesh. Um, And so in that sense, just if I can be reconciled to my body, it's going to be easier for me to be reconciled with other people. If I can't even have reconciliation within my own body, if I'm constantly at war with my own body, it's going to be awfully hard not to carry that tension and that battle into all of my relationships. Mm -hmm. And so I I have something to to practice to pray particularly about that in moments where I'm particularly aware of my body, um, when exercising, uh, when getting a massage, um, <laughs> God help me to glorify you in my body and stop thinking about this as a big old mess that yeah. I have failed to correct properly. Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, about the, 
our bodies are made for connection and loving others. I know there's uh, a thought that like the desert, you know, fathers and mothers and uh, monasticism and asceticism is a real a body denying, a motorfication, which is true, right? And sometimes there's excesses. Uh, but when you read the manuals, it's always... If there is a visitor that you're hosting, you will break your fast and you will celebrate with the visitor. And so there's the hospitality of the loving others and loving strangers that supersedes any kind of practice or mortification of the flesh that they're engaged with because it's the serving and loving, which is which is the goal. Uh, And I think... So I just wanted to throw that out there. I was just learning. Uh, and even bit. the mortification of the flesh, right? Of the fast um, is at its best, not a, my body is horrible, right? But mm-hmm. it's a recognition of the ways that our body is who we are and that what we do in the body uh, is integral to our spiritual life, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't mm-hmm. fast to punish the body. We we, we fast to focus on God. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a body hating culture, maybe some of us shouldn't fast uh, and that's okay too. Yeah. 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 As we, you know, this podcast is being recorded just uh, right at the beginning of Lent, you know, where people pick up those fasts. Um, Yeah. And sometimes it's the, yeah, maybe your fast is the fast from exercising, not you personally, but like, I think there are people who are addicted to exercising and this vision of themselves and the, it's like, actually your fast is not to exercise. Uh, And I think that's a possibility that that exists. I just, you know, he's not talking specifically to me, but I hear that as like, oh yes, that's, I can resonate with that. I've had a, you know, I had a concussion a couple of weeks ago and I haven't been able to exercise yet. And it's really bothering me, mm-hmm. not necessarily because I have the ideal, but there is some sense of like, I have to move my body in particular ways in order to feel comfortable in my body. Mm-hmm. And if I start to feel less strong, then there is like, there, there's a spiritual part of that. So Thanks for and just so hard throwing that out. This is good, right? It is good. Yeah. And it's so twisted in our culture and our thinking. And how to how to sort all that together is is not yeah. easy. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why we're calling this embodied faith. So we could just figure it out and wrestle. I know the piece of advice I got early in my pastoral life and spiritual journey was sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to get a good night's sleep. Yeah. Uh, and then, just right? take care of your body, uh, nourish your body, get enough sleep, all these types of things. Um, all these types of things. I always say that. So you always bust <laughs> me for it. Well, I think we could end with, uh, you know, this is a foundational verse um, in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. So we haven't even talked about what that means, right? But that's a whole another conversation. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, the life I live in the body, which is flesh there. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so the life, yeah, the life we have in these bodies is the site in which we are becoming more like Jesus. Yeah. We're becoming more able to receive the love that he has given to us and the place by which we get to share that love with others. Yeah. Jesus wears our humanity and then invites us to wear his divinity in our bodies. It's such a beautiful, um, I'll stop. But. <laughs> yeah. Don't stop. It's good stuff. <laughs> well, we'll put all these things in the show notes, but can you tell people where they can find you online and then some of the things you're doing there at Northern Seminary? Yeah. Thanks for asking. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Beth Felker Jones, all one word. The thing I'm most excited about right now uh, is a new Substack newsletter. Uh, you can also find that probably by Googling Beth Felker Jones. Uh, that's where this post is about the body as well as some other things. Uh, 
Insta, uh, Instagram, Northern, uh, delightful place to serve. Love my students so much. If you're interested in theological education, check us out. I'm happy to talk to you about it. Uh, particularly, I'm directing a new D-Min program, Doctor of Ministry, uh, for pastors and Christian leaders who are interested in connecting theology uh, to their work context ministry calling. Um, if you uh, are a pastor theologian or someone who really believes that theology is good for the church uh, and that it could help you do your work, I'd love to talk to you about uh, looking at that program. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's the great privilege of my life to come beside people as we as we seek the things of God. So uh, happy to continue to be in conversation. Amen. Well, you, regarding Northern, if you're looking for a master's program, there's pretty much continuing enrollment. So you can check mm-hmm. that out. As far as the demon that you mentioned, is that uh, is the first class this summer or is it this fall? Uh, so the first class will be at the end of August. Uh, applications are open now and uh, you can hop online and look at that and we'll help you out with any questions you have. Okay, great. It's so good to be with you today, Beth. Thank you so much for taking the time. And because we don't always get to do this, but someone said, and now I get to press the button so it shows up, but Holly said, thank you for bringing this topic into the light. So Holly, thank you for watching live. For those of you um, who are listening to this, um, thank you so much for listening. Please share it. Uh, You can subscribe on uh, YouTube. You can find it on YouTube. where I don't have it written in front of me on (laughs) Apple, on Spotify, uh, please subscribe. Uh, And we do, you know, there's some technology fees and other things. So, you know, if this podcast is blessing you, there is a little donation link that you can kind of help offset these things. But Beth, thank you so much for your ministry at Northern and elsewhere. And thank you for taking a little time to jump on today. Thanks for having me. Yes. And we will talk to you all sometime soon. (laughs) 